Welcome to Redemption Church. You're listening to our weekly podcast. Thanks for tuning in. So how did Jesus do it? Have you ever been reading your Bible and you just wonder, how did Jesus do it? How did Jesus live the life that he lived? How did Jesus live the perfect life? How did Jesus overcome Satan? How did Jesus resist temptation? How did Jesus live the life that he did? How did Jesus preach with such passion? How did he teach with such authority? How did he love and serve everyone, everywhere, all the time, perfectly? How did Jesus do it? How did he heal the sick? How did he cast out demons? How did he bring sight to the blind, raise the dead? How did Jesus do all of the amazing and wonderful signs and miracles that he did? How did Jesus do it? Now, on one hand, you could say, of course, Jesus could do all those things. Well, because Jesus is God. And I would absolutely 100% agree with you that Jesus is God. Over and over again, through the course of his ministry, he undoubtedly declared himself to be God, that Jesus is fully God. But on the other hand, we also know that Jesus was fully man. And that's what the Apostle Paul teaches in Philippians chapter 2, that when Jesus entered into this world, that he became just like us in every single way. That while Jesus was on earth, he laid aside his rights towards his divine attributes. This doesn't mean that Jesus ceased to be God, but rather he added to his divinity humanity. And that Jesus was fully God and fully man, which means he lived a life just like us. That he was born just like we are born. That he had to grow just like we grow. That he had to learn just like we learned that Jesus had friends and Jesus had enemies like many of us. Jesus had hurts and hardships, joy and happiness, and Jesus had pain, and Jesus did it all minus one, sin. Jesus never sinned. So how did Jesus do it? How did he resist sin, overcome temptation? How did Jesus live the perfect life? How did Jesus die the painful death? How did he do it all with purpose and promise and passion and power? How did Jesus do it? The Bible tells us that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And just as Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit, I believe that you and I, we too can be filled with the Holy Spirit because the life of Jesus is not one just to be admired, but it's one to be experienced. And just as Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit, we too can be. If Jesus, being God, needed the Holy Spirit for his life, how much more do you need the Holy Spirit for your life? And so that's the big idea that we're going to be looking at today. If you got your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 1, and the title for today's sermon is this, The Power of the Holy Spirit. And here's my... Here's my big idea. Okay, we're going to look at Jesus' life, then we're going to look at the church life, and then we're going to talk about your life. Okay, that's it, that Jesus was empowered by the Holy Spirit, then the first church was empowered by the Holy Spirit, and then what does it mean for our church to be empowered by the Holy Spirit? And so those of us who are ready, excited, we're in the book of Acts, my charismatic friends, this is your day. You've been waiting, you've been looking forward to, you've been anticipating, he's going to preach Acts, he's going to do Acts, oh my God, let's get, let's get excited for the book of Acts. The rest of you are like, what is he? 
even talking about? Okay, so maybe we'll get all filled with the Holy Spirit and see what it means to be the type of church that Jesus dreams for us to be. Acts chapter 1, verse 1, here's it goes. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day that he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive after suffering many proofs. So at this time, Jesus has lived, Jesus has died, Jesus has rose from the grave, and he's getting ready to ascend to heaven, and he tells them that he appears to them after 40 days speaking about the kingdom kingdom of God. Now, so far in this series, I've been pounding this big idea that the trick to understanding the Holy Spirit is not to start with the Spirit, but rather to start with Jesus. Because the whole goal, purpose of the Holy Spirit is to glorify who? Glorify Jesus. And so the trick to understanding the Spirit is not to start with the Spirit, but rather to start with Jesus. Now, as we get into the book of Acts, the author here, he says, if you want to understand everything that I'm fixing to say, don't start here. You need to start somewhere else. You need to start in my former book. So let's just have a pop quiz, Redemption. Okay, okay, a Sunday school pop quiz, right? You ready? Okay, who do you think wrote the book of Acts? Luke, good job, good job. Now, can you think of anyone else or any other book of the Bible that could have possibly be written by a man named Luke? Give you a minute. Luke, yes, good job. And what's the book of Luke all about? Jesus, that Luke is all about Jesus. And the trick to understanding the Holy Spirit is to start with Jesus. And the trick to understanding the book of Acts is to start with Luke. Now, over the last several weeks, we've been looking at the role of the Holy Spirit through John's gospel. And John, he gives some of the most richest, clear teachings about the promise and the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. And John, he primarily focuses on what's called the indwelling, that all Christians, the moment that you give your hope and trust and faith and life to Jesus, all Christians are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. But Luke, on the other hand, he focuses on something called the infilling. And I want to show you that they're a little bit different. So John focuses on the indwelling. Luke focuses on the infilling. I'll give you an illustration to better help us understand. So just think about it like this, that the moment you become a Christian, God gives you a car. Okay, yay, right? Like God gives me a new car. Now this is not prosperity theology. Okay, this is simply an illustration. So all my Calvinist friends, you just hold off for a sec. Okay, so, so let's just say that, that God gives you a, a new car, all right? And, and some of us on our birthday, we wanted our parents to give us a new car, right? Well, well when you're born again, you get a new car car. Okay. And so you're excited about this car and you want to tell all of your friends about this car and you drive this car and you hop, get your friends to hop in the car and you take them for rides around town and you love the new car. But after a couple of days, you're driving down the road. It starts to stall, starts to sputter, starts making a little bit of weird noise. And then all of a sudden it stalls and dies on the side of the road. Now, what is the problem? Well, it's not that there's any big manufacturing warranties or mechanical failures. The check engine light's not on, so you didn't throw a rod. Like, there's no big problems with that. So what's, what's the matter with the car? You forgot to put gas in the car. And then you run out of gas, and you find yourself on the side of the road. How many of you ever run out of gas in your car? 
right? Anybody run out of gas? It's kind of embarrassing, right? How many of you ever run out of gas like 100 yards from a gas station? And you have to like, you're like, I can make it, I can make it. No, I can't. And then you have to push your car into the gas station and you're kind of, don't look at me. And then you put 20 bucks in the car and then all of a sudden, boom, it comes back to life. You keep going more, moving forward where you need to go. That's the difference between John and Luke. That John says, this is the indwelling. Luke says, this is the infilling. Let me suggest to you, there are a lot of Christians going around town on empty and they're going to need to be filled and and so if there's something that God has for us something that God wants for us then that's something that we need for our life and let me suggest to you this if your faith feels broken it may not be that your faith is broken it could simply be that your faith is not filled and so Jesus and wants us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's what Luke is talking about. And Luke uses very descriptive action words to describe this experience that he speaks of. He uses words like baptism in the Holy Spirit or filled with the Holy Spirit or clothed with power by the Holy Spirit. And these are very descriptive terminology that he's using to illustrate a subsequent second act of grace that God wants to do in the life of a believer. See, all Christians, all, all Christians have the Holy Spirit and all Christians need the Holy Spirit. That it's one thing to give your life to Jesus. It's another thing to live a life like Jesus. We love Jesus. We serve Jesus. We believe in Jesus. We, we want to live our lives so that way we can be like him. And the same power that enabled Jesus' life is also available for yours. And so this is what John is, or Luke rather, is wanting to express to us as the Christian faith. And he's talking about being filled with the Holy Spirit. And so if you want to understand the Holy Spirit, how many of you grew up in a church where like, we're spirit-filled? Anybody ever hear that? Like, we're a spirit-filled church. Like, what does that even mean? How many of you like, that man is really spirit-filled. What does that, what does that look like? What does that mean? How do, I, how do I know if somebody's filled with the Spirit? And so if you want to understand what it means to be spirit-filled, okay, don't turn on Christian television, Okay, don't, don't look to the guy in the white suit doing the big healing crusades. Don't look to the guy praying in King James English and don't look to the crazy lady with the tambourine. If you want to know what it means to be spirit-filled, you look at Jesus. Because Jesus is the only one who was constantly, continually, always living his life spirit-filled, spirit-empowered, spirit-led. Jesus is the one who shows us what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so the author of Acts says, don't start here, start in my other book. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at Jesus' life being empowered by the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to do all of the book of Luke in the next five minutes. Sound cool? Okay, we're going to cover the entire book of Luke in five minutes. So put your seatbelt on, get your pen out, let's get started. So he says, start with Luke. So Luke chapter 1, verse 35, we see that Jesus was born of the Holy Spirit. An angel of the Lord comes to a young, single, poor, teenage, virgin girl named Mary and says, Mary, you're going to have a baby, and he's going to be the Messiah and the Savior of the world. And Mary's like, question, how? Like, how is this possible? Because I don't know if you know this, I'm a virgin, and virgins tend not to have babies. So um, that's not the way that this works. And the angel says, don't worry about it. We got it covered. You're going to be overshadowed by the Most High, and the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and that Jesus was born of the Holy Spirit. So the very first indication we have is that Jesus was born of the Spirit. And then we see that Jesus lived under the Holy Spirit. In Luke chapter 3, John the Baptist is baptizing 
people for repentance out in the river. And then Jesus comes along on the scene and Jesus comes to be baptized. Now, Jesus was not baptized for repentance. Jesus was baptized for righteousness to show us as Christians the way in which we are to live our lives. And so all Christians are to be baptized following in the footsteps of Jesus towards our righteousness. And so Jesus comes to be baptized and we see all of the Trinity at work in the inauguration of Jesus' ministry. That as Jesus goes down into the water, the Father says, this is my Son with whom I'm well pleased. And then we see the Spirit descend upon him. That the Spirit descended and Matthew's gospel tells us that it remained on him. And that Jesus lived his life under the power of the Holy Spirit. And then in next inference we see is in Luke chapter three that he was full of the Holy Spirit. And Luke's very intentional to connect these two words. I want you to see this. He's very intentional to connect full and Holy Spirit. See, the Greek word for Holy Spirit is pneuma, which literally means the wind. And so what he's saying is that your life, Jesus' life, is like a ship in the ocean. And that when the sails are up and the wind blows, we're filled with the Spirit. And that gives us the ability, it gives us the power, it enables us to keep moving forward and to accomplish the things that we need to accomplish. And so Jesus continually lived his life, sails up. And so when the wind blew, it led him to where he needed to go. And that's what he wants to do for your life. That in your life, we need to constantly, continually be living, sails up. So when the wind blows, we have the ability, we have the power, we have the direction to live our lives. That's what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, the wind blows, Jesus follows, and he is led of the Holy Spirit. And where does he lead him? To the devil, that he goes into the wilderness and he experiences a time of prayer, of fasting, of silence and solitude, temptation and testing. And that Jesus was tested. Some of you need to know that the spirit-filled life means that you will be tested. And oftentimes, many of us, we want to avoid our testing, but the spirit sometimes will lead us towards our testing. Why? So that way we can grow in trusting and so Jesus is led into the wilderness and he experiences this time of testing and trusting. And how does he come out on the other side? How does he come out on the other side? By the power of the Holy Spirit. How did Jesus do the things that he did? By the power of the Holy Spirit. How did Jesus heal the sick? By the power of the Holy Spirit. How did Jesus teach and preach and heal and perform signs, wonders, miracles? How did Jesus do it? It says, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the number six, my personal favorite, it tells us in Luke chapter 10 that Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. What do you think that looked like for Jesus to rejoice in the Holy Spirit? What, what, do you think that, what do you think that looked like? Do you think Jesus was like a little charismatic? Like, yes, one, okay, one, yeah, yeah, Jesus, okay, me, okay. How do you think Jesus worshiped? Do you think he raised one hand? Do you think he did the heartburn? Right, just kind of doing that like that. Do you think he did full Pentecostal two hands jumping up and down, right? How did Jesus worship? Do you think he did the Baptist like hold the TV? Is it like that? Is that how he did it? Did he did the Presbyterian rocking chair? Like what do you think it looked like when Jesus worshiped? What do, you, what, do you think that, what do you think that looked like? I'll tell you what I think. Now this is not in the Bible, but this is just my, my opinion that when Jesus worshiped, he was excited. 
That when Jesus worshiped, he was passionate. That Jesus worshiped like he knew the Father and that Jesus loved to worship. That he would raise his voice, that he would do it full-hearted, full-throated, total devotion in his worship. I believe that when Jesus worshiped, he was excited. Now, I want you to know this. It's okay for you to get excited during worship. It's okay for you to be passionate. It's okay for you to have energy. It's okay for you to have emotion. It's okay for you to rejoice in the Holy Spirit. And if anybody ever looks at you and says, what's your problem? You say, I'm just being like Jesus. What's yours? Because I'm rejoicing in the Holy Spirit. Well, number seven, that Jesus sends us the Holy Spirit. So Jesus was born of the Spirit. Jesus was was led of the Spirit. He was full of the Spirit. That Jesus was empowered by the Spirit, rejoiced in the Spirit. And then Jesus says, the same power that was enabling me is now available for you, and that Jesus sends us the Holy Spirit, that my life I'm giving to you, my power is now available for you, and then Jesus sends us the Holy Spirit. Here's what he says. I love this. It says, you are my witnesses to these things. What things? He's talking about the life of Jesus. You know me. You've seen me. We spent three years together. Everything that I've done, everything that I've said, you are the witness to these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. That same power that enabled Jesus' life is now available for yours. That the life of Jesus is not just to be admired. It's a life for us to experience. Now, you got to hear me on this. Why was Jesus empowered by the Holy Spirit? To continue the mission. Jesus was empowered by the Spirit, not just to live his best life, but to live the perfect life. Jesus wasn't empowered so he could try harder, do better. Jesus wasn't empowered for behavior modification. It was all about the mission that Jesus leaves heaven, comes to this world on a rescue mission to seek and to save the lost, that he came to ransom us from our sins, die for the entire world, bring us back from death to life, proclaim the kingdom of God so people who are far from God can come home so that the lost can be reached and that the mission would continue. And Jesus says, I've done my part, now it's your turn. And Jesus sends us the Holy Spirit. That's all of Luke. Back to Acts. Acts chapter 1, verse 4. And while staying with them, he, being Jesus, ordered them, okay, not suggested, not recommended, not maybe if you feel like it, Not on a good day, he ordered them to wait. To wait until the promise of the Father. See, sometimes we just need to wait on the Lord. And this is so essential for many of us that in our zeal and in our passion, oftentimes we don't wait on the Lord. Some of us, we need to learn to wait. When was the last time that you were silent before the Lord and asked him to fill you up before you went out? See, passion is one thing, but passion without purpose or power will amount to nothing. We need power. Jesus tells the disciples, I know you want to. I I know that you have this passion. I know that you have this zeal, but you can't do it on your own. You're not going to be able to accomplish it. You're going to get tired. You're not going to have enough energy. You're going to be exhausted. You can't do this on your own. And so you need something more. What we have is not enough. We need something more. And so Jesus says, to wait 
that we need to wait on the Lord, which he said, you have heard from me. So John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said, that's not important. Don't worry about that. It's not for you to know the times and the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive, what's the word? power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the world. So how did 11 ordinary men single-handedly change the world forever? How did 11 backwoods, blue-collar, working-class, Nomex-wearing, fishing men change the world forever. How is this possible? How did Christianity go from 11 to 4 billion people in the world today? How did they do it? What change took place? What transformation happened in their life? How is this possible? How did they do it? Jesus says that they received power. Many years ago, there was a Swedish chemist, and he invented a very powerful substance. And he had to call it something because he invented, and that's what you tend to do. And so he, he reached out to a buddy of his who was a Greek scholar, and he asked him, he said, um, what is the word for power, the Greek word for power? And the man responded by saying dunamis. That's where we get our term dynamite. Okay? And Jesus says, when the Holy Spirit shows up, it's going to be like dynamites, right? How many of you ever heard dynamite? It's like, boom, right? That's, you know that dynamite's gone off. Now, if it's a firecracker, it's like pop. You're like, okay, yeah, that's a firecracker. Boom. Okay, that's, that was dynamite. And when dynamite goes off, everyone hears it. And Jesus says, when the Holy Spirit comes, it's going to be like dynamite in your life and everybody will see it. And so the lit is, the wick is lit and the church explodes when the Spirit shows up. How do we know? Because people's lives were being changed. And so they, they, they go and they, they start telling other people about Jesus and they start sharing about Jesus and they start, they start building churches and community groups and sending out missionaries and they start telling people from the street corners to the synagogues, this is who Jesus is and this is what Jesus has done. And the church, it explodes with power because the Holy Spirit has now been unleashed in the life of the church. So it was for Jesus' life and then we see it's for the life of the first church and the book of Acts tells their story. And here's four stories that I want to pull out for you through the book of Acts. Now, one day I would love to teach the entire book of Acts, but for time's sake, I can't do that today. So I want to just pull out four stories, and we just talk about the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of a church. And on the back end, we're going to look at what this means for your life. And so four stories. We'll see that the power of the Holy Spirit in the first church gave them the power to be witnesses. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and to Samaria and to all the ends of the earth. So Jesus says, you are going to be my witness. That word witness literally means to tell people what you saw. Okay, think about it like in a courtroom, if somebody were to bring you in and you're going to be the witness, what do they want you to do? Simply tell people what you saw. That's what, all that Jesus is asking from us, just to tell people what it is that we've seen. This is, this is who I was this is who Jesus is, this is what Jesus has done, and this is who I am now because of Jesus. He wants us to be his, his witnesses, and so he goes to his disciples and says, you're going to be my witnesses from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. 
And we read this today and we're like, oh, okay. Right? But for the disciples, you need to know, this is impossible. Right? This is overwhelming for them. They hear ends of the earth and they're like, how are we going to do that? I mean, we've never even left our hometown. We've never traveled more than 100 miles in our life, probably never even left our own country. How are we going to reach all of these people? Because there was, no, there, there was no airplanes, there was no cars, there was no transportation, no highway systems, there was no internet. It's not like they could Facebook Live their sermon and try to get all of the information out to the entire world. And so when they hear this, they think, how is this going to be possible? In addition to that, these are not the most trustworthy of men. Okay, they're, they're, they're not. They're uneducated, most likely illiterate, that they, they don't know, um, they don't have any jobs, they don't have any money, they don't have a home. And so Jesus is saying, okay, here you go, go ahead and change the world. And in addition to that, they don't have the best track record when it comes to following Jesus. Because if you remember back into the Gospels, we see that, that, that Thomas, he doubted him, that, that John, he, he didn't even believe the resurrection at first, and then Peter, he denied Jesus. And so Jesus is not working really with the best launch team if he's wanting to start a brand new church. It's almost like trying to plant a church with a bunch of college kids who wait tables and play in punk bands, right? That's, that's sound familiar to anybody? And so, and so that's how Jesus... Jesus plans to start his very first church. And the disciples, they, they just simply have faith enough to trust him. They said, okay, Jesus, here's what you told me to do. You told me to wait and to witness. Jesus, you want me to wait and you want me to witness. You said that something's going to happen. So my expectations, my hope... I'm going to believe you. I'm going to trust you. You said it. You'll do it. Something's going to happen. So we're going to, we're going to wait. But he also said for us to witness. And so they go out and they start telling some of their friends, hey, here's who Jesus is. We're starting this little prayer gathering. Would you be interested in joining our team? Some people said yes. And they go and they, they start telling a little bit more. And they start talking to a little bit more. And they start inviting other people. And then over the course of about 10 days, they... They, they built this team of about 120 people, and that's, that's pretty impressive. I mean, in 10 days, imagine if your community group went and just found 120 people, right? That's, that's a little impressive. And so, so they waited, and then they witnessed, and that's when it happened. In Acts chapter 2, it tells us what they were anticipating, what they were expecting, and what Jesus had promised to them. So they waited, they witnessed Acts chapter 2. We see what happens when the day of Pentecost arrived. Now, Pentecost, that's like Mardi Gras for Jewish people, okay? Just think about it like that. It's a big party, a big celebration, and people from all over the world, they come to Jerusalem for this festival and this celebration. And so people are there, they're excited, and then while they're all gathered together in one place, and suddenly, this is, this is where it gets good, Suddenly, there came from heaven like a sound, a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house. And where they were sitting, divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, how many of you ever heard somebody speak in tongues? It's a little weird, right? It's a little weird. We could just be honest. Now, some of you, you probably never heard somebody speak in tongues, and just even talking about it, you think, okay, that's, that's a little weird. Some people heard, I'm not going to speak in tongues for you, um, but, but let's just be honest. It's, it's, it's a little strange, and they thought this is particularly strange 
because they had no gauge to understand what's happening. This had never happened before. And so as everyone's gathered together and they're there for the festival of Pentecost and then all of a sudden they have people with tongues of fire and just start to start praying in tongues and they're hearing it and they're like, these people are insane, right? These people are a little crazy. These people, you know, having a little too much fun on Pentecost, if you know what I mean. And so, so people will start hearing this and they're mocking them and they're making fun of them. But as, as they're praying, they begin to proclaim the name of Jesus and people hear it in their own language. They don't hear just like they're speaking in gibberish, yabba-dabba-doo, hallelujah. They hear it in their own native language. And what this would be like is if you were here today and you were from Korea, as I'm preaching, you would hear my sermon in perfect Korean. Or if you're here from Spain and another person's from Germany and I'm preaching, then one person hears it in perfect Spanish and another person hears it in perfect German. And they hear the name of Jesus in their own native language. And they take notice to this. And it doesn't only say that they heard it in their native language, but also in their dialect. And that each language also has a particular dialect. So if you're here from Canada and I'm preaching and you hear Jesus loves you, eh? If I'm here, if you're here from, you know, Wisconsin and it's Jesus loves you, don't you know? And if you're here from Texas, Jesus loves y'all. And if you're from Oklahoma, we don't know what you're saying. But you know, (laughs) just seeing if you're still with me. And so they hear this, and, and they're wondering, how is this possible? What is happening? These men, they're illiterate. They're uneducated. How do they learn all of these different languages? And as they are praying, and as they are proclaiming the name of Jesus, people think they're crazy. People think that they've been having breakfast beers because it's 9 o'clock in the morning at this time, and they're wondering, what's going on? And it's this big commotion, and everybody stops. They look, they lean in, they listen. They want to know what's happening. And the crowd falls silent. So what's going to happen? Well, next it tells us that Peter, standing with the 11. What's he fixing to do? What's Peter going to do? Peter's going to preach. Who's going to preach the first sermon at the first church? Who are they going to pass the mic to? Who are they going to get to preach? Peter, the man who had just denied Jesus, is going to be the one to declare Jesus. And Peter preaches Pentecost. And he says, he says, brothers and all those of Judea, give me your ear. And Peter, with a loud voice, he lifted up his voice. What's he doing? He's yelling. And people wonder, Byron, why do you yell when you preach? One, it's biblical. Two, it's Pentecostal. And I'm both. So you get a two for one deal. And Peter... (laughs) raises up his voice, and Peter preaches Jesus. He says, Jesus lived. Jesus was the Messiah, and you murdered Jesus. That Jesus had no sin, and when he was buried in that grave, death could not hold him. He overcame Satan, sin, hell, death, and the grave, and Jesus is alive. He lived. He died. He rose. Jesus is alive. And Peter preaches Jesus. And it says the people in the crowd were cut to the heart. That as they hear the name of Jesus, as they hear the message of Jesus, as they hear the gospel of Jesus, they're cut to their hearts. And they say, brothers, how can we be saved? What have we done? How can our lives be changed? How can we be forgiven? And Peter says, 
repent. Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Revival starts with repentance. If we don't preach repentance, we will never reap revival. It starts with repentance. The first work of the Spirit in your life is repentance, that you would turn from your sins, that you would trust in Jesus, that you would give your life to him. He would be Lord and you would follow him. And from there, we see what God wants to do in our life. The first work of the Spirit is always repentance. Some people want the worship, but they don't really want the repentance. Some people want the revival, but they don't really want the repentance. I want you to know they come together. That repentance leads to revival. And he says, repent and you will receive the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the church grows to 3,000 people in a single day. How? Because they were empowered to be his witnesses. That the church grows from 120 to 3,000 people because the Holy Spirit gave them the power to be his witnesses. And as the church continues to grow and people keep meeting Jesus and they start forming their groups and sending their missionaries and having their prayer gatherings, well, the religious leaders and the officials, they take notice of this and they're not very happy about it. Just so you know, not everybody's going to be happy when you start talking about Jesus. And so the religious leaders, they send a strong wave of persecution against the first church because they're trying to stamp them out. Like, you can't do this. You can't, you can't be going around and talking about Jesus. You can't be worshiping Jesus. And so if you continue to talk about him, then we're going to arrest you. We're going to beat you. We're going to throw you in prison, and we're going to kill you. And the disciples think, oh, just like Jesus. And they come under this strong wave of persecution, and they said, if you're not silent, then you will face certain death. And so the disciples, they came up with this brilliant idea. And they said, well, what are we going to do? So, well, the first time we waited and prayed and then 3,000 people got saved. So let's try that again. That seemed like it worked. And so they, so they said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to wait and we're going to pray. And this time they determined that they were going to pray for boldness. In the face of fear, the disciples prayed for boldness, that they would have the boldness to continue to speak the word of God. Here's how it says it. And now, Lord, look upon the threats and grant to your servants the ability to continue to speak your word with all boldness. And when they had prayed, and the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. There we see it again, that they were filled with what? The Holy Spirit. Okay, this is the second time we see that they're being filled. Just as Jesus was constantly, continually being filled with the Holy Spirit, so we see the church is constantly, continually being filled with the Holy Spirit. Some of you have been filled, but it's been a very long time. And God wants to do that in your life. That it's not just a one-time event. It is a continual lifestyle of Christianity that we need to be filled repeatedly over the course of our lives. And so the disciples, they, they pray, they ask God for boldness. He fills them with the Holy Spirit so they can continue to preach the word with boldness. And there's nothing you can do to stop them. That everywhere they go, everyone they meet, they're talking to, telling people about Jesus. You want to arrest me? That's fine. I'm going to tell you about Jesus. 
Jesus. You want to beat me? That's fine. I'm going to tell you about Jesus. You want to throw me in prison? That's fine. I'm going to tell you about Jesus. You want to kill me? That's fine. I'm still going to tell you about Jesus. You can't shut them up. They can't quit talking about Jesus everywhere they go. It's all because of Jesus. Now, does this sound like the same disciples we met just a couple of weeks ago? Does this sound like the same disciples we met in that upper room in the Gospel of John? The men who were fearful, the men who were timid, the men who were afraid and sorrowful, the men with doubts. Does this seem like those same men? How did these men go from, from timid to, to, to strong? How did they go from fearful to faithful? How did they go from, from weak to bold? How did they do it? They were filled with the Holy Spirit. And as they prayed for boldness, God met them in that moment, gave them the boldness, and the church explodes again. The fuse is lit, and the dynamite goes off. A couple of months later, in Acts chapter 5, we see that the church is running 5,000 people at this time. Could you imagine if in like six months, redemption's running 5,000, right? That would be awesome, and it would also be a problem, <laughs> But that's a problem we would love to have. And so as the church, it begins to encounter some problems. Only five chapters in an Acts, and then some problems arise. Just so you know, sometimes churches have problems. Okay? Um, as long as people are involved in churches, there will be problems. And so the church is experiencing its first problem. What do we do with all these people? Where, where do we connect them at? Where do they get plugged in? How do we get them involved? And the big problem in the first church is that the pastors were doing all the work. Just so you know, that's a problem. When the pastors are the one who are expected to do all the work in the ministry, then there's something wrong within the life of a church. And the pastors, Peter and the rest of the, the disciples, they're, they're going around and they're the ones who are kind of organizing the Sunday gatherings and they're the ones who are driving the trailer in and unloading the chairs and setting up the cafe and doing the kids and working the check-in and passing out the bulletins and they're the ones who are working the potluck meals and the Mother's Day out ministry and so they're really stressed and the, there's a lot of things that are falling to the cracks that people aren't their needs aren't being met people aren't being able to serve and there's a lot of problems that arise and Peter comes up with this brilliant idea and he says you know what the Holy Spirit's not just for pastors but he's also for the people and so he says we need to get people involved because the Holy Spirit doesn't just empower pastors he empowers people and so they determined to get some people together and allow them to use their gifts and talents and abilities so that they can see the church grow. And here's what happens next in Acts chapter 5. We see, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, and we will point to this duty. But we, being the pastors, will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And so the Spirit empowered that first church to serve and the church got a little organized. People started getting connected. They started using their gifts, their talents, their abilities. Why? So more people can meet Jesus. So as many people can meet Jesus as possible. And the first church is marked because they are empowered to serve. And they grab Stephen. And Stephen comes in and he, he starts encouraging people. And they come on, we need your help. Come on, brothers, we need you to get involved. Come on, sisters, there's work to be done. Come on, we're just getting started. This is not finished. Our story is just beginning. We're right here. There's still more work to do. There's still more churches to plant. There's still more missionaries to send. There's still more times to be given. We still got work to do and the church explodes 
Again, because they were empowered to serve. Well, in Acts chapter 10, we see it all come full circle. So, so, so Jesus, empowered by the Spirit, the church is empowered by the Spirit, says, you will be my witnesses, and they go and they take the word because they're empowered to reach the lost. And we see that Peter now, he's no longer in Jerusalem preaching at Pentecost. Now he's preaching to Gentiles. Gentiles are people who are far from God. They have no um, expectation to ever become believers. They're people just like you and me. And, and so Peter, he, he's not at Pentecost now. Now Peter, he's, he's preaching to the Gentiles. And I want you to see Peter's story because for him, this is his ends of the earth. And I want you to notice the thread, the pattern of Peter's sermon, okay? Because it's basically the same sermon I'm preaching today. Over this week, when I was kind of working through my notes, I, I realized, wow, this how all of this lines up. And there's some things you just can't make up. And, and so Peter preaches. And I want, you to, I want you to see this pattern because it's very important for the life of the church. Here's, here's what he says. Acts chapter 10. He's preaching to the Gentiles. He says, you yourselves know what happened throughout all of Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed. So we start with John's baptism. And you see the pattern. That at the baptism, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with what? What does he say? The Holy Spirit and power. And then he went about doing good and healing all those who were oppressed by the devil for God was with them. So how did Jesus do it? By the power of the Holy Spirit. How did Jesus heal? By the power of the Holy Spirit. How did Jesus love? By the power of the Holy Spirit. And we are his witnesses. Do you see this? That Jesus was empowered by the Holy Spirit. The church is empowered by the Holy Spirit. And we are sent so that we can be his witnesses. And while Peter was still saying all these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all those who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter, they were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. How did they know that this happened? Because... They saw and they heard something. And the Holy Spirit was poured out. Even in the middle of his sermon, while he's still preaching, they responded. And it says, they heard them speaking in tongues and extolling God. That's, that's worship. So in the middle of his sermon, people begin to worship God, that their hearts are changed. They are transformed. And it, it results in a worship towards the Lord. They saw and they heard. This wasn't just white knuckling their seats. This wasn't checking their watch and wondering about the game afterwards. There was a visible manifestation, display, tangible result of grace on the life of these people. And they responded by worshiping. And Peter says, can anyone withhold baptism from these people who have received the Holy Spirit just like we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus. Now, these people were not supposed to be saved. These people were Gentiles. They were lost. They were far from God. They had no expectation of salvation on their life because up until this time, that salvation was only for Jewish people. And then Peter goes to the Gentiles, the lost, the far from God. He preaches to them. And while he is preaching, they hear the good news of Jesus. 
See, they, they didn't understand these things. I mean, like they didn't even know how, how this worked. They didn't know who Jesus was. They didn't know that there was a Holy Spirit. They didn't understand any of these things. And apparently they flunked out of synagogue Sunday school because they didn't understand John the Baptist either. And as Peter is preaching, here's who Jesus is. This is what Jesus has done. Jesus resurrected. Jesus went to heaven. Jesus sends us the Holy Spirit. Jesus has sent us here. Here's who Jesus is. And in the middle of his sermon, they respond by worshiping. And not only did they get saved, they got filled, and they got, they got baptized all on the same Sunday. That's, that's what I call a church service, right? Get them saved, get them filled, get them dunked. Like, that's, that's our new mission statement for our, our church, right? That, that's what we want to see. Get them saved, get them filled, get them dunked. That's it. And they continue to reach the lost, so they have power. So they have power to witness. They have power to be bold. They have power to serve, and they have the power to be able to, to reach the lost. Now, I, I want you to see how this all works together. Do you, do you see the pattern here? That, that Jesus' life, okay, the life of the church, okay, then your life. Okay, that Jesus was empowered by the Holy Spirit. That the first church was empowered by the Holy Spirit. And then our church is to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. See, nothing has changed. Okay, nothing has changed. 2,000 years later, here we are. We have the same Jesus. We have the same Bible. We have the same Holy Spirit. We have the same mission. Nothing has changed. And I don't believe that God is expecting anything less out of us than he expected out of them. If he could do it for them, then he could do it for us because nothing has changed. Same Jesus, same Bible, same Spirit, same mission. Nothing has changed. So here's my question. Why don't we see this? If this is the normative expression of a church and a people empowered by the Holy Spirit, why don't we see this? Why do our churches feel more like cars without gas, ships without sails, and fireworks, and not the dynamite that Jesus promised. Why don't, we, why don't we see this? Might I suggest to you that we've received the indwelling, but we, we haven't experienced the infilling. That we've received the promise, but we've yet to experience the power that Jesus makes possible. God wants so much more for our lives than for us just to go to church on Sunday. God wants more for our church than for you to sit here and listen to a decent sermon, sing three songs that you probably never heard before, check your kids out of kids' ministry, get in a fight with your spouse, and try to get the kids to soccer practice. God wants so much more for his church than just for us to play and pretend. He wants us to know the power that is available to us through the Holy Spirit. So if the power hasn't changed, what's the problem? Our priorities have. Our priorities have changed. We don't see this because our lives don't need this. We don't live lives of risk and of faith to where we need to be dependent on, longing for, only hoping in that in this moment, in this move, God, you're gonna have to show up because if nothing happens, it's not going to work. We don't live our lives in ways that require this type of power. We, we become so accustomed to trusting in other things, something or someone else to get us through. 
in, in churches, we trust in you know, plans and programs and assimilations and marketing and outreach and branding. We don't see the power of the Holy Spirit. In our lives, we, we trust in things of comfort and money and sex and relationships. We don't trust in the Holy Spirit to get us through in our lives. We don't see this because our lives don't require this. We become so accustomed in the 21st century that we miss out on the life of the church that Jesus actually dreams possible for us. Let, let's, just, let's just be honest. I, I love you, and I'm not, I'm not trying to guilt you into anything. I'm trying to compel you to see something, that God has so much more for you. I, I, just, I, just, I just want you to see this. I get worried for many of us. And as your pastor, that's part of my job. Because I don't think that many of us have truly experienced an authentic expression of the Christian faith. I, I just don't think it. I think, I think we've gotten very good at doing this. I think we've forgotten how to do this. I think we've gotten very good at doing this but we've forgotten how to do this. Let's just be honest. If this is the normative pattern that God desires for us as a church, could you replace Peter's name with yours? Just open it up. Okay, here's Peter. Here's the first church. Here's Redemption Church. I long for this. This is what I want to see. This is who I want to be. Because if there's something available and God wants something for us, then that's what I want. I mean, let's just, let's just think about it. How do we know? Well, at first it says there's power to be a witness. So are we witnesses? Or, or, do you witness? That's, that's what I do. I share my faith. I tell people about Jesus. Right? I, I'm inviting people into church. I'm bringing people into my community group. I'm taking people out for coffee, whether at work or whether at the gym or whether at the grocery store. I'm looking for opportunities to be able to witness to other people because that's, that's what the Spirit does. I just want to talk about, I just want to talk about Jesus. Are we witnesses? Now, immediately, some of you are going to balk. You're like, well, that's not my job. That's why we have churches and Facebook marketing, and that's why we have all of these prints and banners and signs and flags. And so it's your job to be the witness. It's not my job to be the witness. No, it's all of our jobs to be the witness. It's not just for pastors. It's for the people. And we're all to be witnesses in our everyday life. And some of you are like, well, I'm never going to go from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth. And so I, I don't need to be a witness, okay? But what if Jerusalem was your home? What if Judea was your job or your college? What if Samaria was the coffee shop? And what if the ends of the earth was simply across the street? Do you need power to be witnesses there? What if our homes were filled with the Holy Spirit? What if your home, what if, what if husbands and wives loved one another by the power of the Holy Spirit that their marriages were witnesses? What would it look like if mothers and fathers raised their kids by the power of the Holy Spirit? What would it be like for our kids to be filled with the Holy Spirit? You know your kids can be filled with the Holy Spirit. They don't got a junior Jesus and they don't have a JV spirit. They are filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter says that it's for your sons and your daughters and your children. 
What would it look like for our kids? Every night at dinner, I put my hand on my little girl and I just pray. I say, God, please fill her with your Holy Spirit at a young age so she doesn't deny you and she turns this world upside down for you, that our children would be filled with the Holy Spirit. What would that look like at our jobs or in college with coworkers or classmates that we would be filled with the Holy Spirit in our relationships? What would it look like in our cities for people to be witnesses? What would it look like for you to have the ability to just walk next door and serve someone else? Do you need a power for that? There's a power available for that. What about the power to be bold. How many of you are like, that's me, I'm bold, I'm bold, like pull out the dictionary, be, right, my face is right next to bold, like that's, that's who I am. Everywhere I go, everywhere I look, I'm talking about telling people about Jesus, I'm bold. How many of you want to be bold? How many of you would like to be bold, to be confident, to be courageous, to be bold when it comes to your faith? There's a power available for that. What about serving others? Do you go to church to get or do you go to church to give? Do you go to church to take or do you go to church to contribute? Are you more concerned about what the church can do for you than what you can do for your church? See, the first church, they were, they, they were audacious in their serving. They were bold when it came to their serving. They loved to serve because that's what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and see, this is so important. Some of us come from church backgrounds to where it's the spirit-filled men who lead. no. Spirit-filled people serve. See, Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. And if spirit-filled means to be like Jesus, then if you're filled with the Spirit, you'll serve. You might be tired, you might be exhausted, but he'll fill you up and get you going where you need to go. Because we, we love to serve. How many of you want to be a part of a church like that? Where people are just willing to serve other people. It's not about them, it's about others. It's not about what... what happens for them. It's about what God does in the life of others. That's the type of church that I dream and long to be a part of. And what about just witnessing and reaching the lost? How many of you have friends and family members who don't know who Jesus is? They're far from God, and you love them, and you pray for them, and you fast for them, but their hearts are hard, their minds are made up, and it doesn't seem like anything you say will ever get through to them. But you want to reach them, but you don't know how. See, there's a power available for you to reach the lost. Guys, if there was something for you and God has it, wouldn't you want that? If God had something available for you, and he says, this is what I want for you. You're my people, you're my children. If you ask, you'll receive. I have something for you. Why would we not want that? And as I'm praying and we're, we're working through this sermon series and we're, we're dreaming about what the future of the church looks like, this is the church that I want to be a part of. This is the church that I want to I see. I want to see a church that it's not about the plans and programs because plans and programs are great, but apart from power, they're pointless. I want to be a part of a church that is men and women who are filled with the Holy Spirit and they are hungry for the word of God and they want to reach as many people for Jesus as possible and they know I can't do it on my own. I'm not good enough. I'm not going to be able to do it. I'm going to be tired. I'm going to be exhausted. I'm going to be, I need something more. And they're willing to throw themselves at the mercy of the power and the promise of that Holy Spirit. 
That's the type of church that I long for, dream for. So how do we receive this? Well, pulling out a couple of points from a text, four ways. And just so you know, I will never ask you to do anything the Bible doesn't say. Right? We love the Bible here. I will never ask you to do anything that the Bible doesn't teach. All I ask you to do is exactly what the Bible says. So here's four ways from our text today that we can receive this Holy Spirit. First, it says to wait. Acts 1 says, wait. Some of you, you need to wait. So your heart is anticipating. You're feeling that passion, that zeal. You're like, this is who I want to be. This is the church I want to be a part of. We need to wait until we receive that power. And so I want you to come forward today, and I want you just to wait on the Lord. It's been a long time since some of you have waited. And so maybe you'll get filled today, maybe 10 days from now, maybe five days from now, but you just keep praying and you just keep waiting and expecting. It's not about the, the moment, it's about the heart in that. And so I want you to pray and I want you to wait. Second, I want you to repent. Some of you are not following Jesus. That you come here today, you hear this sermon and you're cut to the heart and you need to respond by repenting. Give your life to Jesus. You'll receive the gift of salvation, the greatest gift, but you'll also receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so we need to start by repenting. If we want to see this happen, this is what the first work of the Spirit is. We repent. Third, we pray. Maybe there's things that are holding you back. Maybe there are things that are hindering you. Maybe you're worried. Maybe you're exhausted. Maybe you're just afraid of being weird, okay? Just so you know, we worship a dead guy. So you can be weird. Like we believe Jesus rose from the grave. Like there's some weird things in Christianity. So don't worry about those things. So come forward and I want you to pray for boldness. And then we're going to worship. It says they worship. They extolled God. It was a visible sign. So we're going to worship, not with our heart, not with our minds. We're going to worship with our mouth. We're going to sing. We're going to praise God. And as some of you sing, you'll, you'll sing out a spontaneous song that God puts in your heart. Some of you will sing out a prophetic song that God will, will, will birth inside of you. And some of you might speak in tongues. Don't be worried about that. All of that is just signs that the Spirit is working in your life. And so we want you to respond to the working of the Spirit in your life. And I want you to remember this. If God has something for you, that's what we want. And if the same power that enabled Jesus' life is available for our church, that's what we need. Redemption Church meets every Sunday morning on Crockett Street at The Gig. If you would like to know more, you can find us online at www.redemptiontx.com or join us for one of our two services at 930 or 11.15 a.m. Sunday mornings in downtown Beaumont. Kids are welcome too. We are Redemption, and we would love to meet you.